Um, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Lifters League podcast, the uh, Strength and Muscle Science podcast. Um, my name is Ben Ashmole. I'm here with Gus Cook, and today we have a guest. I'll let you introduce her, Gus. So today we have one of my clients, Sarah Rainbow. She has been competing for six, seven, six years. Six, I think. Six years. And... Uh, she has competed at the highest possible level you can in powerlifting um, and has multiple national and world records, including the biggest bench press record, the all-time all -time bench press record that was held for 35 years by the famous Bev Francis. And she took that in 2018. And then someone else broke it again and unofficially she has retaken it again but we yet to get that in a competition so that bench press is now at 161 kilos wow so you um, it again since then yeah just in the gym um after, well, after lockdown just for fun nice. yeah so the, fun. i think the, annoying, the world record for fun <laughs> i think the annoying thing about that is that we were meant to compete in a uh the arnold classics that year to take back take back the win and the annoying thing from me is that the number one thing I was worried about is her getting her bench press back because after that 157 and a half that she got in 2018 it took some time to really because it's a very when you get advanced there's a there's a big difference between your competition max and what you can do in the gym yeah, so yeah, you yeah. never hit you never hit what you do in the uh, in competition in the gym um, risk is too high and it takes an extraordinary amount of prep for the body to have the capacity to do that, which is only capable of doing for a very short window of time. Like so, once a year or whatever. If you're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> so what, what, how, obviously fucking COVID-19 is still around, right? We've been in, we're out of lockdown now. Have you been able to train while lockdown? How has that been for you? Uh, yeah, I was still able to train. I, I got some stuff at home, so I was just still able to keep doing stuff, but it was a struggle. But What, what have you got? Have you got like a garage gym set up or like a, a yeah. power rack and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, I got a power rack off Gus and oh, nice. yeah, Laco bar and like a few plates, so I was still able to keep going, which was nice. How many phone calls did you get, honestly, as soon as this lockdown happened? From people oh, it was perfect. Gear? I was trying to sell all my... <laughs> Because actually, I was closing my gym around that time, um, and it was probably the best time to sell gym equipment because yeah. it was very. And for the prices I got, I didn't even expect to get anywhere near the prices. Because I know when other gyms have closed down, and you you, you really push those prices down because no one will sell anything for anything that's anywhere yeah. near thirty percent of its uh, original value. I mean, I still only got anywhere between forty and fifty percent of its original value, because but to sell all of it was a miracle. Fuck, I. Like if you if you head into a store now, there's still there are no bumper plates anywhere. I've been trying to find them for ages. Mm. Gone, gone, all on Gumtree. So you, you were you were still training, you coaching remotely then? Yeah, yeah. I'm still doing weekly programming and trying to do the best I could. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so you're really, really, really fucking strong. <laughs> 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 to put it. To put it mildly, 
where did you start? When did you get into powerlifting? Just out of interest. Uh, I've always just enjoyed doing weights. Yeah, um, yeah. And I was just always training at the gym and benching like three times a week because I thought it was cool. Right. Squatted maybe once a fortnight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> um, he wants to train legs. And there was a coach, a powerlifting coach there at the time, and she was like, wow, you've got a really strong bench. You should just do a novice comp. I was yeah, like, yeah. whatever. So, Why not? <laughs> so I did, and then, yeah, just escalated from there. I guess, never stop. You're addicted from yeah. the first one. Yeah. Fuck, it's easy though, isn't it? As soon as you start seeing the numbers go up and stuff, like there's nothing like it, right? There's different. There's almost like different stages to it. Like, I mean, have you felt that motivation and drive every competition changes, and that drive pushes you to do some more, I guess, ridiculous things that you would not possibly think to do many years ago. Yeah, it always it always changes. Like I remember the first comp, I was just like, I just want to do another one. I yeah, didn't yeah, care yeah. what it was, didn't care what my numbers were. I yeah, was like, yeah. I just want to compete. And then, but now it's a bit, it's changed. Yeah, it's mm. like. When did, that, not, when did that click for you? I know with every athlete, there's a there's a moment, there's a competition, there's something that's like, like this is my life now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it was like after nationals when we went to Melbourne and nationals. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was like my first like 500 total and I was like, fuck, like nice. now it's not just competing. It's like a whole nother ball game. Yeah. That's when you get to the elite level, I guess. Mm. When you start to live it and breathe it, right? Did we wait cut for that one? Yeah. Yeah. That was like nine kilos or something, I think in the end. And that was the day I decided to never do a weight cut ever again. <laughs> also. <laughs> over, what, over what time? How, how long was that weight cut? Oh, what would have been like 10 weeks or something, was it? I can't remember now. Yeah. Yeah. Week. Why? What was wrong with it? It was fucked. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just all of it. And then I think the last week of it, I remember getting sick. So yeah. then, like, I held held water that I was supposed to be like cutting, and then ended up Gus ended up having to take me to the sauna the like the morning of weigh in. And I remember sitting in the sauna with like another girl, and I was like, I have to get out. I really don't feel yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we made it, so it was good. Fuck, I saw um. And then I think the f- the f- the f- um, uh, the refeed after is worse than the actual cut. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> what? Because you just couldn't tolerate that much food. Yeah. Or? It was like Gus. Gus has like this full hourly to the hour plan of like what you had to eat, and I was like, I don't want to eat, but he's like, you have to. <laughs> <laughs> it's. Are you, are you that coach? You like? I, I saw. I saw um, a guy who was fighting in the UFC to make weight. His coach put him in a sauna. On a fucking exercise bike and had him doing sprints with like a fucking towel wrap around his head. They dragged him out, like literally dragged him out. It was like it was like half of him left. And then just fucking threw him on the scales and then <laughs> and then he got his head kicked in the next day because <laughs> it's the same. It's the same. It's me doing it at a big competition. I'm there with them minute by minute from uh, those last you know those last 24, 48 hours and the refeed time making sure you know my alarm goes off is like you better eat your ice now you know because ah, to replace everything that your body loses over that 24-hour period i remember going to bed you're like take your chocolate milk i was like i don't want to <laughs> <laughs> this is when it becomes a job right <laughs> well, this is where I, I find i find and i think a lot of athletes find is that um dieting and starving yourself is actually a lot easier than force feeding and refeeding like it is tremendously harder because diet, dieting and starving is just, you know, when you're trying to do massive weight cuts, it's just not doing anything. 
where, yeah, yeah, yeah. where force where force feeding is that you're fighting against a natural response to want to vomit or the actual physical capacity of the stomach, you know. But yeah, I agree. Which is why it's all timed because I have to actually look at you know the reason why it's timed because you're measuring the digestion rate for certain certain things. I'm trying to refeed things that you know to importance to least important and so on. Right. So for everyone who just thought the powerlifters were just meatheads, uh, it's not true. Right. There's actually some science behind it. Um, all right. Well, let's. Uh, I mean, let's talk about. I guess uh, some of the. I guess some of the things like we wanted to cover more about what it takes. I guess and at the top. So from a coaching <laughs> perspective, like I was saying, in my some of the other podcast is that. The method, the method's always the same. The foundations are always the same. Yep. What changes is attitude, and the application for each each type, uh, for each tool we start to use, yep. just maybe maybe different. But the thing is, the things I'm using on the most advanced is generally not any different than what I'm using on 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 beginners. And I think we just experienced recently, constantly. How many times do we come back to the basics? Yeah, always. You know, like was it the other day where you know you've, you've been feeling like shit in training. So I said, let's eat more. Let's eat again. I was he like, said, oh, wow, my training feels better. How weird. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, it's right. always coming back. It always is. It's always coming back to those basics. So I guess I guess what's one of the first topics we can hit? Let's, let's, talk, about, let's talk about, I guess, uh, I guess training. What would be what some things we can talk about training specifically? Right, okay. So <clears throat> what, what I'm interested in is you were just doing your own programs in a gym. You had a good bench press. You did a comp. You saw a coach. For the average person who who thinks that you're you, I mean, you're just going to go to every day and just lift a shitload. What what changed in terms of the programming, and what was the most difficult part of that transition? Having to squat again. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I fucking love squatting. I've always loved squatting, but everyone looks at me like I'm a fucking alien and I hate deadlifting. But anyway. Um, yeah, it was just following like something that was structured, um, having a routine, I guess, kind of like um, instead, of go, to- instead of going in, just training how I felt, training yeah, what yeah, I wanted yeah. to train, which was bench mostly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I, I think the biggest transition from you to training more like the elite is when we first came into the 2018 Pro Raw and I guess the competitions after that. I think what would you say some of the significant differences are between, you know, some of your early competitions like that national competition to something like Pro Raw where we took the biggest bench press record? Uh, I guess, like, training becomes, like, everything. It's, like, yeah. um, as well as, like, recovery is probably one of the biggest, mm. um, as well as like all the prehab stuff. A lot, I think we still mm. are trying to like uh, fight that battle of keeping things balanced as possible. Um, so, so this is a, so. There's a lot of obviously people think training is all the work, and then training and competing is all the work. But what you're talking about is there's a fuckload of other stuff you have to do around it just so you can train in the way you need to. Yeah, tra- training's the easy part. Right, okay, yeah. yeah so okay. how much other stuff, it's, how much other stuff you say? Yeah, how's that? Is it compared to just training specifically? It's like spending like an hour before training doing all my prehab stuff, warming up, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. activating the right stuff. Uh, even like now off-season, it's still the same. Been having, you know, 
still spend hours warming up and um, yeah, recovery. Recovery is another important part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got yeah. sleep. Sleep. Try to get as much sleep as I can. So I mean, how much? I mean, how much emphasis are we putting on sleep? I think well, to... well, like we've we've always said, I think sleep's probably the most important thing out of everything. That it blows has to my be. mind. That ble- so that blows my mind. I remember when you told me that way back, and I was like, "How do you mean?" So right, why is that so important? And um, this is ironic because I've got a I've got a new but like my, I've got a baby. So what is he now? Six weeks old. So I'm literally having four hours a night. It's fucking brutal. So how important is sleep? It's got to be, I think this is one of the things that would separate some of the, um, some of the best from the amateurs. I mean, it's the only thing that is going to recover you from training. And the research has shown that uh, high-performing athletes especially in the season with the level that they're training at, yeah. need a, need up upwards of about nine hours, nine hours per per night. And not only that, you need quality sleep. So, you know, there's many ways we can address 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 sleeping. It's looking at some of the basics of their sleep hygiene coming into coming to sleep, how long that they're sleeping for, and the way they feel and the routine, the way they feel in the morning and their routine that yeah. they put in so that we manage their circadian rhythm and hormone cycles between cortisol and melatonin and i mean there's all sorts of things that we need to do to maximize maximize sleep and that's generally the first thing we try to try to control when it comes to trying to uh get more out of recovery so we always have training stimulus and like i said for most elite athletes the training is not the problem they're always going to get it in it's everything else that becomes the difficult thing where we're trying to manage you know, stress levels, we're trying to manage workload, we're trying to manage to the point of like, even I'm working with, actually it's been quite common lately because of lockdown, some of the athletes aren't moving as much. So getting them to right. just walk, to have a normal normal function. And because they're, because they're not moving as much, we're getting less, less capacity to utilize our glutes or core. So then that's turning into back pain and things like that. So, you know, there's... So, so somebody's daily walk to grab a coffee makes a difference or could make a difference to the end. Massively. I mean, how, how different have you felt when, in times where you, know, you said you've taken time off yeah, but felt worse? Yeah, for sure. Like days I sit at home and then I go train, I'm like, oh. It's also like we were talking about the other day, hey, it's like a mental like a mental stimulus too. It's like yeah, yeah, you get yeah. up, you like feel that like you've achieved something. So then it's... You get, you get to the gym and you feel like, yeah. This is where I, I, I think your, 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 your brain chemistry plays a big role in uh, how you train because it, everything that we do is to – everything in life that we do is to please the brain. Yeah. We, only, we only train because we get a, you know, a release of dopamine – because we're desiring an outcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And every time we do that, we have more dopamine that is released and the drive to do something just gets greater and greater and greater. And so if we, if we set up our lifestyle around to have a healthy brain chemistry, which is, you know, a low level of stress, which means that, right. you know, we go into uh, what we call parasympathetic mode, which is the only mode we 
recovering, which is when we rest and you know, the rest and digest system allows us to actually uh, uh, recover from recover from training. Um, so if we set up set up our set up our lives and that we're able to have you know um, uh, this 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 brain chemistry that allows us to enjoy our training, then we're going to have very high intensity uh, and a very high work ethic from from every from every athlete. Because if they hate what they're doing and they're not motivated to do what yeah. they do, well, they can't see an outcome. Then uh, we get poor poor performance. Right. Okay. So just just unpacking that a bit. Right. So what you're saying is that even you can get ten hours sleep, but even that's not all created equal. Like if you're overly stressed, that sleep isn't going to be kind of recovery stage either like so the quality of the sleep is obviously important as well <clears throat> do you um so do you do you have any examples of athletes who like i, I guess what we're getting at is when, when you're at the top right there's a million different things that give you a one percent advantage like the small things but one percent when you're at when you're lifting you know 160 kgs is is a win or a loss right or a world record or not right are there any examples of lifters where you've where you've changed, or people you might know where they've changed, like something simple like sleep longer, or whatever it is, and their numbers have gone up almost immediately? Like, are there loads of strong people walking around who just don't sleep enough? Yeah, <laughs> but there you have it. <clears throat> um, this is the difference between taking someone who's also really, really strong, who wants to go even further, take it to the next level. Then it's it like like we like the majority of this topic. It's everything else that matters, not not the training, because they are really trained. Like most most people are, uh, who are already pretty strong and want to take the next level, already trained like freaks. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And this is where also I think I think this is going to move into the next topic where uh, I guess mindset and your attitude towards towards that training because, you know, um, you can have the world's best program, but if you have an athlete that doesn't execute that with intent, yeah. um, then it, it doesn't matter. So a lot of the times if, if that's the problem, that they're not executing the plan properly, then I am focusing on basically what what – I'm, I'm trying to address that problem, their intent behind and their motivation. So we might start looking at variabilities in their lifestyle or the style of training that we might 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 do. So, you know, I want to get a sense of what generally what uh, someone, someone like Sarah would 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 enjoy doing. Um, get the bench out. So it's kind of like <laughs> <laughs> get, her the, get her under the bar. Five days a week bench. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how would you say how much? Because when we first start, when we when you first first start out, I always say there's there's a transition between, you know, a coach, coach and a client when they first start out is that basically listen listen to the coach, mm. but as you get more advanced when it comes to such as Sarah, it's it's quite of a, I guess a cohesive relationship where we have to, because she's going to know at this stage she's going to know who her body better than I'm going to know. Of course, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Um, I have the knowledge behind me to try and interpret what she is feeling but this becomes more what she says and does or mm. 
uh, it, it becomes more important about the decision I make. And I always rather follow her instinct than my instinct. Right, okay. Um, so I guess what were some great, what were some examples during, during prep? Have you found that, I mean, we've, tra- we've changed styles nearly every, yeah, every time. I mean, what are some of the mo- recently actually? We've had some big, big progression in our, in our, in our training. What, what do you think some of the biggest impacts when it comes to, I guess, your preferences and training that you get out of it? Well, I think even just this prep, remember we like we changed. Um, usually, comp preps I usually squat twice a week. Yeah. Okay. Um, just to, for the skill and all that sort of stuff. But um, coming into pro world prep this year, I was squatting once a week. And it was like moving fine. Um, squatting uh, also like fatigues my back and all that sort of stuff. So we kind of sat. Remember we sat down and we said like maybe we'll just stick squatting once a week to help recover and all that sort of stuff. And I think like that worked really well. We changed that. That was something we just changed like on the fly. Yeah. So do, do you do you str- do you struggle with motivation ever? Like I think just generally people tend to like. We get thrust with all these like elite people that we should bottle after, right? And you get you get you get thrown with the um, the Michael Jordans and the fucking all these people who are like borderline sociopathic, like <laughs> like number one, like are you normal, right? I think so, but right, right. other people might not. <laughs> so, are you somebody who's like, are you obsessive about it at all, or or do you do you need to constantly motivate yourself? Like, what do you do? Um, well, motivation comes and goes. I think. I think anyone would would find that. Um, yeah. You know, external influences and all that sort of stuff work and that sort of stuff. Um, at the moment, my motivation's it's not at its all time high, but yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. um, work's taken over a little bit. So, but I still train, still do all the things. Just, I'd probably say obsess a little bit, but yeah, yeah, okay. um, I enjoy training. It's just my little. It's like my little outlet. Um, I need to. What's the what's the longest you reckon you could go without training before you're losing your mind? Probably a week. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever have you ever forced an athlete to rest for longer than that? Um, only only for very very particular particular reasons. Like yeah. if uh, someone comes to me and says, like at her level and says, I think I need to take a week off. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what that what we came to at, at one stage during lockdown. It's like, well, she probably does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what off means and what is meaning that you know, motivation as always is is is, is generally most of the time uh, brain brain chemistry, yep. which is influenced from you know different stresses. So that we get, you know, we lose sensitivity to various neurotransmitters in the brain that doesn't allow us to be as driven or motivated uh, as we would. And being for an elite lifter, for the type of personality that those people are, that they are driven by competition. Um, and so when we're this far out, motivation does tend to change. So we look at other things that they might enjoy. So if we, let's say we're taking time completely off, then what does the goal, goal become here? Just maintaining basically a level, basic level of health. Mm. And that I would say to something like that is go, don't stop training, but go do something that you just feel like doing. Because doing something is better than nothing. If you work at, if you work at 30% of your capacity, 
uh, even when it comes to nutrition or, or, or training, you're just working at a very tiny percentage of, yeah. of your capacity. That is generally enough to not get you completely off track and that you will not be far off from getting back to where you, where you were. The worst thing is doing absolutely nothing, no nutrition, no training, because the fallback from that is generally huge. So, because this all or nothing approach that a lot of, a lot of athletes do have is something that can be quite counterproductive or dangerous towards their long-term, long-term results. So this is where I would look at people's different attitude towards various stages and phases in their training. So this comes down to the off-season attitude that we might have and that the switch in the brain is just a little bit, a little bit different. Yeah. So, I mean, what are some of the things I guess you think about in the, in the off season compared to competition that you keeps you, keeps you going. Are you somebody who lets loose? Like, I feel like there's, there's two types of people. There's people who like, that they say they're having a break, but they can't really properly have a break because they can't pull themselves away. So they just, <clears throat> they're still um, kind of doing this stuff, but at a lower level. And then there's the other people who go, fuck it, I'm off, tequila, fucking tacos, like just go absolutely insane. Uh, no, I wouldn't go insane. I still still just, um, my, I probably don't follow it as strictly, uh, yeah, like yeah. my nutrition-wise and stuff. Um, Gus at the moment's just giving me like macro goals and I just kind of like fit them as the best I can. I don't yeah. try not to like obsess over it. If I don't, if I go over, I go over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but and then training's the same. Still, just try and train. Um, the goals change like a little bit at the moment. It's not so much like competition focused. Um, I think my off-season goals is always to get bigger. So I just working on trying to put as much mass on as possible. Yes, <laughs> man. Yeah. I think we have the same. I think I send the same message to Gus every time after every comp prep. Just want to get bigger. <laughs> Any is your opinion on that? that doesn't actually make any difference to the overall total or would it? Yeah, it potentiates strength all the time. So right, okay. it's, yeah, it's definitely something that will help. But uh, again, again, it always falls back to <laughs> psychology again, is that uh, a happy athlete is going to be a very uh, competitive, mm. very good athlete. You know, if I'm driving my agenda all year round, then they're not going to be at their tip-top shape because it, it is fatiguing. It is fatiguing on, it is fatiguing on the brain and body, not just, the, not just the body, but just the brain, like um, the mental fatigue from prep because the, 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 the discipline you have to take with every execute, how you execute every part of your life from the moment you wake up, you know, from the moment, I mean, I got, I got people doing, you know, injury prevention routines the first thing when they wake up in the morning. Um, to their level of hydration, to the food that they're going to have throughout the day, um, the way they, you know, how they're going to conserve energy throughout the day, impact their food, and then what kind of preparation they're going to do coming into coming into training that day. Um, a lot of a lot of talking about, you know, depending on the type of day, how, what kind of mental preparation that they're going to do. And I mean, when it comes to a big lift, I mean, how many days out are you thinking about? That the whole lift? week. Yeah. Gus puts up my program on Sunday and I sit there and go through it. I'm like, whoo. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, I'm done with that one. So, all right then. Well, right. This is interesting. So what does what does a – let's go in the season. What what does a day look like for you 
because in, in terms of the discipline, like from a training standpoint, are you applying your entire day to this? Mostly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, okay. Well, like so, yeah, in season it's I, – I get up for work early in the morning, so get up early. Um, I do – I've got like an injury prevention routine as I wake up, um, which is like clams and planks and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, my – my day at work is thinking about what I'll be doing in the afternoon at the gym, yeah. uh, making sure I yeah hydrate, eat. People ask me to pick up heavy things. I'm like, nah, I can't. Sorry, I've got a deadlift this Same afternoon. Minute, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and then to the gym and uh, yeah, and then home in bed by six thirty. <laughs> really, <laughs> I think this is the thing where people aren't thinking about they they're not thinking about their training until they get to the gym where most elite level lifters are thinking about their training days in advance and that they're, they're ensuring that the stuff that they do throughout the day isn't going to impact the day and then right. they're ensuring that they're going to maximise that day, you know. Most people are just, from my perspective, I'm, I, when I train, I'm just like, where can I fit it into my day, if you know what I mean? Like you're just trying to wedge it in somewhere and then you're, fucking, you're doing a million things. You go to the gym, get it out of the way, and then you're out kind of thing. Mm. Um, how, how long are your training sessions, just out of interest? Usually? Oh, in prep, probably like three or four hours. Yeah. Yeah, so so that on top of a job and going to bed at 6.30, like you, that's pretty much like it's just that on your job, right? Pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's having two jobs. And I said that's the easy bit, yep. the training. Yeah. Fucking hell, okay. Mm. All right, What? be honest, what's the worst part, worst part of being an elite powerlifter? Good question. I don't know. <laughs> All right, if you if you could swap something out and just be like that that shit doesn't matter anymore. Eating, <laughs> force feeding. <laughs> right, that's mad. So if eat, I could just like eating too much, drink it all, or I don't know. Yeah, I have, I hate eating. Oh, there's times I thought I wish I had like a tube in my stomach, like just like yeah. put it put it down there because I just don't want to eat. Yeah. Right. Th- this right. This is shit that blows my mind. Okay. So I remember when. I first popped into your gym when we were going to start working together. And you were talking about all the body transformation stuff you've done with, with general clients, not elite lifters. And you said the first thing you get them all to do is eat more, mm-hmm. even if they're trying to lose body fat and stuff. And we've already done a podcast on on that. That that blew my mind, right? Because it seems to me everybody's everybody's goal, everybody I hear about or talk to, or you train, their goal is calorie restriction, right? So... I'd love to eat more. I, I just I just can't work it out why how you're struggling to eat. Like how how much are we talking? How much do you have? So to let's. Eat? I mean, a well, good in- a good story is your tra- is the transition between first starting with me and and what I got you to do. Yeah. So, so what when I now? when I was before I started with Gus, I was restricted to like eleven hundred calories. I was fuck by who <laughs> by the by the old coach. Yeah. Um, oh my god dangerous right i was i was a tradie too at the time so yeah, i had yeah. like a pretty physical job um i was training like four or five days a week i think and i went and saw gus and gus was like what the fuck pretty much <laughs> <laughs> and uh the first week i think he put me on like it was like three eight four thousand i think was like the first he put me straight on wow and i think in the first week i put on like two kilos of muscle and lost like a kilo of fat or something so really what so so you quadrupled your calorie count and lost body fat. 
Shit, what were you eating? Oh, I can't remember. It wasn't it was donuts, a... right? No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> that matters. That's still, unfortunately. Basically, when you eat that much, it's just easily digest, large amounts of easily digestible good food. So you, got, you also have one side of nutrition in dietetics where they, you know, have so much nutrient density in there. If yeah. I was to have that level of nutrient density um, with, with, with Sarah, you'll have explosive diarrhea. You know, so we're not having huge amounts of vegetables and fruits and stuff like that. We still have it, but it's so the 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 the, the majority of the calories are coming from from something that is very digestible, very efficient for the body to utilize, such as you know red meat and and eggs and and, and rice and um, things that we can eat large amounts of that aren't going to massively impact I uh, or give us digestive distress. And then we build up those calories and monitor monitor her performance, recovery, and body composition to see what kind of what's going on inside. If we eat more and her body does the things that we need to do, then we're on the right track. If it doesn't do what it's supposed to be doing, then, you know, what do we do with the calories? I think the most we got to was like 5.5 five, and that was Oof. that was not fun. I, had a, I was having like a Snickers a day. Everyone's like, oh, you're so lucky you're going to have a Snickers a day. I'm like, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is the... Um, if it fits your macros thing that everybody does, they um they go sweet right okay I've got my macros right how many donuts can I fit into this amount right and then fucking training falls off they can't fucking lift anything and five thousand five hundred holy shit I can't even picture that much food my day was just revolved around eating it was like I've got to eat now otherwise I won't be able to eat later so. <laughs> You'd be constantly doing that now, though, right? Well, what kind of calories are you on at the moment? Oh, I think around about three eight at the moment. So it's not yeah. it's it's like achievable. It's it's like just at that limit where it's not too much. It's not it's not too little either, which is nice. It's a bit more of like a maintenance kind of. And are you is that broke up? Are you one of those people who people tend to fall into two ways with this? Do you just like binge eat fucking three massive meals, or are you spreading that out? Ah. Uh, well, because of my work, it's a bit restricted. So, yeah, I kind of have to do it in, like, three main meals. Plus, I have, like, a few snacks and stuff throughout the day to make it a bit easier. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. so that, it, that, that's more kind of... It really does come to timing. Like, even how many times have you woken up a little bit late and then you're screwed at the end of the day? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, how do you it's, mean? How do you mean screwed at the end of the day? You mean you're training? Or so, what? like, when I was eating 5-5, five, five, I would get, like, I'd have Sunday off work and I'd sleep in. And then I'd be like, oh, it's so good to have a sleep in. And then I'd be like, oh, great. Oh, you missed I'm a meal. I'm behind like three meals now. So I've <sighs> got to make up like 5,000 calories in about four hours. Right. I've heard that. I've heard of athletes do it. I've heard of athletes waking up at 1 a.m. to do a refeed and then going back to sleep. I don't know who, I don't know who does that, which psycho does that, but I've heard of that. My suggestion would be to not. Disturb your sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To get food in. Sleep's the most important thing, as we've worked out. Right, okay. Right. Everyone needs to be powerlifting then. If you can just eat as much as you fucking want. But it's 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 not. The thing is, people it, it's people think I need, I wanna get lean so I get I go on a calorie deficit, but there's just no need because the application I applied to her is no different than the general population of someone who just wants to lose a couple of kilos or look a little bit leaner. Yeah. You know, the, the principles are exactly the same. We generally feed them a little bit more so they can train better. That's it. The energy levels skyrocket, then their training sessions just become awesome. 
Yeah. Okay. You know, know, instead of feeling absolutely wrecked at the end of their session, it's like, I want to do more. I can't wait for the next session. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. So how did it, how did it feel? So when you hit the world record, right? I think it's a world record, is it? It was an all-time Australian record. Australian record. Austra- yeah. All right, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Still pretty fucking Maybe one amazing. day. <laughs> what is the world record? Bench? Yeah. 200? The, fe- the female world record's 200. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit far off, isn't it? <laughs> Fuck. <that's... laughs> Holy shit. Wow, that, that'll be someday, yeah. So uh, how did it feel when you, when you hit that? What, how, did, you, did you celebrate? What did you do? Oh, it kind of, I think it took a while to sink in. Hey, it wasn't until like the next day and Bev Francis was there and she's like, oh, I want to meet you and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, I actually did it. <laughs> um, Amazing. Yeah. And she's super cool. She's a super cool chick too. So Bev Francis was a, basically a bodybuilding and powerlifting champion. She completely revolutionised bodybuilding to where how you see uh, chicks actually taking up big style bodybuilding. Okay, yeah. And um, I think she like changed it, influenced like females, like strength everywhere. And um, was, yeah, was absolute leader in terms of powerlifting for females. Like just, if she can change the sport of both bodybuilding and powerlifting for females and her records held for 35 years until she came along. She put me in a headlock and told me to never do it again. Yeah, so I was like, yeah. oh. <laughs> then you went and did it again in training. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Like, it is still taboo though, right? Like do, do you do you cop shit from people generally just because you're a female powerlifter, like in terms of the general population or? No, I wouldn't say so. It's more not shit. It's more so like why? Why would you want to do they that? don't get it, right? Why do you want to be so big and you're a girl, you shouldn't be that big. I don't care. <laughs> no, I know. You're literally like one of the strongest people in the world. Right? Yeah. It's like, why wouldn't you want to be, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't cop too much shit. It's, it's good. I think I think it's I think it's changing. I think it's mm. people want to see that now. I think yeah. people want to see like strong strong women and um, other girls are like picking up other girls too instead of like um, cutting them down. I think it's... Yeah, so I, I've actually noticed, like, if you just go to a general gym, that's one thing I've noticed in the last decade is that, like, females are starting to actually do the big lifts, even even casually, whereas it used to be treadmill and some, like, fucking a 1K <laughs> fucking balloon. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 right? That used to be, like, wet. There used to be a split, like, dudes in the gym, females doing the cardio stuff, and you definitely see, like, especially with... Whether you like it or not, like CrossFit's been pretty good for that, hasn't it? Like, mm. it's got a lot of women into like doing some decent lifts. Yeah, yeah, it's got them in the weight. It's got them doing in the weight gym now. It's got them in the weight gym where it's kind of, it's always been a thing, especially back when I was doing it, that they just avoided it. So it's definitely growing for. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's good. I love seeing it. Yeah, 100%. I, I think it's better than ever. Like, or even powerlifting when it first started. I mean, there were hardly any, hardly any women. And we, I think we ran the gym I was at. They ran their first like all female competition. There was only like nine females, and now those competitions get sold out in a few minutes. I feel like there'll be almost there'll be almost more girls than guys doing it now. I reckon. Yeah, almost. it's getting pretty. 
dudes have ego problems though, right? Like, <laughs> like it's less accessible for guys just because everybody, everybody's uh, worrying about coming up against somebody stronger than them. Guys have fragile egos. That, that, that's my opinion. <laughs> that's what I reckon. Like the, the amount of guys who just would swerve competitions because they don't want, they can't deal with getting beaten. Whereas I reckon a lot of women just want to give it a go, right? Like, definitely more inclusive. What are your Obviously, you're already elite now, right? Top of the game. What are your kind of goals in the future? How old are you? 24. 20, fuck. <laughs> so you, your maximum potential is what? 10 years away, right? Is that right? Usually? Yeah. Depends how long she wants to, how long she keeps at it and how long we look after is, her. Is there, a drop, is there a drop-off age? Or is, is there like a peak because obviously there's not eighty year olds. I mean, most a lot of people say a lot of people are saying that like, most people's peak is around their thirties. Uh, okay, but so where, where do you think where do you think you want to get to? Like, where, where do you want to take it? Uh, my goal at the moment is um, the all time Australian record. Okay. Um, for bench and deadlift. For total, total, yeah. Total in there. Total. Um, so what's that at the moment? I think it's seven oh five at the moment. Right. Okay. Total. Um, and then, yeah, see what happens after that. Right, okay, seven, 7.05, so you've already got the bench. Yeah, big numbers. How far off are you? Uh, it's hard to say at the moment because we didn't really get to see, like, the full potential at Pro Raw, but I'd probably, like, 40 kilos. I think it's about 40 kilos off, 50 kilos, 40. You'll definitely do it, right? You will, yeah. It's a big job. That's... Yeah, it's not like it's not, it's not going, end, that's a huge amount of weight. It's not yeah. going from six fifty to seven hundred. It's not like going from, you know, three fifty to four hundred. You know, that's just another another ball game. Yeah, yeah. It, it, like I say, the method's always the same, but you know, the precision we have to take with everything just becomes becomes crazy. I mean, I think the next the next plan I've already. Again, I don't, I don't do all this on my own too. I consult people myself. And um, okay. so, you know, some of the strategies we've got coming into this next one is that we've nailed down some of the methods that have worked really well for her. And I think we kind of discovered a few things in this last prep that we never really got to see that really put huge potential on her squat and bench. And I think we started getting some traction on the deadlift. Deadlift has been a little bit of a, a, little bit of a struggle. Um, and I think we've come to the conclusion with the deadlift now that it's going to be um, pain and injury management with the lower back. Because uh, if we can manage that, we can make, you know, we can make significant progress. Um, right, so you're, you're, you're limited by back pain in that lift. Yeah, oh, I hurt my back well, a year and a half before pro last year. Mm. Um, so it's just been a bit of a struggle, or not a struggle, but it's just something we've had to work around since then. Um, Okay. It's come it's come good now. It has its days, but it's come good. So just have to keep it that way. Will that ever will that ever go back to normal, do you think? Anyone who has back injury is always kind of one of those things where it's where people are always for the next couple of years are, yeah. are, are learning how to live their life with what they need to do. But it is it is it can get to a point where there can be no more pain. Um the the the, the thing is here is that we're pushing a high level of performance here that mm. you know when we try to create uh 
high performance in one in one specific area, we become unbalanced in various areas. So you can't have, as Andrew Locke says, he says, uh, success, successful people are unbalanced people. And De- definitely, yeah. And I think this is that, that that's true to nearly, I guess, every aspect of success. And when it comes to power, when it comes to powerlifting, um, elite level powerlifting, that is definitely definitely the case. So this is where, you know, phasing your training through on and off seasons help help create enough balance so that when we come into preparation again, we're ready to go, we're ready to go, um, with enough, I guess, functionality so that when we get through that prep, we come out, come out better. And so with with this, we're just trying to push a higher level of you know, heavy squats, extremely heavy deadlifts, heavy bench and everything that it does impact it does impact the health of the yeah, health, health, right. health of the spine. And the thing is, as long as we can maintain enough balance so that she doesn't get hurt, then that's the key, especially with the deadlift. And I think that's been the limitation in the last, I guess, two or pre- two preps or so. Um, we've made some significant progress on the squat and bench. But this time around, where you know we've got some head run with the deadlift now. I think coming back to what I was trying to say is that I think the strategy for this for this for this prep is managing a lot of um, actually managing a lot of bio biofeedback because we have a tendency that she, she gets tends to get sick um, in the last week or two of the competition prep. Now this is actually quite a well known phenomenon um, with powerlifting that we can create a, such a level of fatigue and stress on the body that it gets gets sick. What do you mean by sick? Like kind of like just a, like cold flu, cold, cold, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, cold okay. symptoms. And um, um, yep, I've experienced it. I know a lot of other athletes have experienced it, but it's been quite a common thing with 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 Sarah here. And so um, she feels it's still sleep. And, you know, there are some things, um, you know, especially the bigger – Especially the bigger we get, you know, general athletes, powerlifting athletes will struggle with um, sleep apnea, and so bigger the weight or bigger the bigger, yeah the, the weight, weight the weight of yeah their weight of the the weight of the human body weight not, yeah right right okay um yeah yeah but even just pure muscle like I mean neck muscle itself can have start to have restriction on how well you can breathe as well so. We have to start looking at some of those things, but yeah. I mean, there are a lot of other, a lot of other, a lot of other factors we can look at. But those, those, that's one of the things we are going to try and address. But we are going to try and address a lot, get a lot of biofeedback this time. So we're going to ensure that we can manage uh, fatigue, uh, manage motivation. Motivation is a big, big, um, big one in terms of understanding where they're at in their recovery, uh, their training intent, that that. that their desire, I mean, all these little aspects can start to tell a big story about what's going on inside inside, so that we can start to manage. So if we're getting, if we're getting, accumulating quite a bit of fatigue, okay, can we do, start looking at, you know, mini cycles of, of deload? So, I mean, one pattern I did start to notice is that her performance in the last competition, we, every second week was underperformed compared to every first week. And so you would perform a higher, you get more speed out of one week and then the following week you'd find that you were losing velocity mm. on some of your lifting. And it was actually the same with uh, Dan Mahoney, who was another one, we were prepping for the same same competition. So, 
even though we reduce our frequency, someone at this level might require even further recovery where she might need two weeks. And this is where I might have to balance out different loads because we still want to keep up frequency and volume. So we may have to alternate loads over a two-week training cycle. So again, this probably be the next thing we'll experiment with. And again, I'm pushing the boundaries here because I'm this the you know 700 kilo total is not a is not what many coaches and athletes and female athletes have done. There's like two in the world, so there's not like a Whatever. huge amounts of. I think there's three, maybe three. I think yeah. yeah. So it's not a very well documented process, but this is where my approach is different. That I'm heavily individualized. Yeah. To, to her and. Thing is, I can pick up a lot of information pretty quickly from each individual, but at her level, like we, we can we can try and pick up one new thing every, like it's every training cycle. So, you know, once a year or twice a year, we might try one new approach, and so it can take. And thing is, it's, it's never going to be the same each time because she's so so damn strong. I mean, the the stresses on the body are just are different every single time. So definitely her capacity to lift anywhere near her competition numbers are just not going to always be mm. be there. She has to train further and further away from her, what she's going to do at competition than what she's going to do. And, you know, so they're good. there's going to be a good period of time there. We might only be training between 60 and 70% of her, of her max for quite some time. Really? Yeah. That's I mean, interesting. At the moment we're working at 70% for deadlifts. Okay. And... I mean, what are you at with bench press? Bench press always generally tend to go a bit heavier. I think it's about 75, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm probably going to stick around the 70% mark, 70, between 70 and 80% for quite some time because there's just going to be no need to go too heavy until... Are you, are you, are you seeing strength gains at those kind of... No, you don't see levels? any gains. <laughs> no, you just kind of... Um, so it, 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 this, is, this is where it gets a little bit complicated for more advanced athletes is that you're not... You're measuring things in, in very large macro cycles. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. we're not going to see the result of that until she competes. Right, okay. But I can look at a lot of signals and feedback that might be telling me that the right thing's happening. If I'm giving her you know, a prescription and then I see that, the, that she can recover from that with, say, with reps, with reps that look better than the previous week. So if her 130 bench, she benched 130 for three, and the following week, if I look on a video and it's slightly faster and we can replicate that progression over time, then yeah, okay. you know her three reps at 130 from week one to week 10 has improved, we're probably going to improve. I can't tell for sure until I get to a competition. But then we, what we do is we document the process we take. Yeah, yeah, okay. And that at the end of the, at the, end of the training cycle, we can see like, okay, it worked or it didn't work. Yeah. yeah. One thing for sure, we know we've got to bench at least twice a week. You know, we've had various exercises that have worked really well. Floor press has been very well. What else? What else has worked well? Bench press. We've had. Um, you know, frequency definitely works. Yeah, benching three times a week is definitely the key. Um, floor press was really good, and just back, just heavy back stuff. I think has been. <clears throat> People have a lot of that a lot, don't they? Most people think bench and just that they fucking ignore the back, right? Mm. That's that's interesting. So you you react really well on the bench three times a week, but for say squats, it wouldn't be. 
Yeah, well, we I was squatting once once a week um, for the whole pro raw prep, and my squat has was the best that it ever been. So, I think, I think it came to probably more like just recovery. Hey, like it was, yeah. um, it didn't need that repetitive. Yeah, yeah, okay. Skill work, I guess, just needed recovery. Mm. So, what one other thing I'm keen to cover is on the psychological side. How do you deal with, and I presume you've, you experience disappointment, whether it be um, at competition and you, and you miss a lift and you, and you go well below what you think you should, or even at training where you're not tracking the way you should be. How do, how do you deal with that? Because that, that's got to be, there's got to be a difference there between the normal person who doesn't really give a fuck and an elite level athlete where it's your entire life. So have you ever been to a competition and just it's just not worked? Yeah, pro roll last year. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, there was a lot of it was a lot of external factors that went into that too. Um, my yeah. back and work stress and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, disappointment in competition is a lot different to disappointment in the gym. Okay, it's, it's like a whole. I feel it's like a whole another ball game. There's so yeah. much more pressure and pressure on yourself as a as a lifter in competition. Um, do, you th- in, do you enjoy that pressure? Uh, sorry, just uh, out of interest, do you, do you get off on that pressure or are you just like, oh, I fucking hate this, panicking? And- I still get nervous. Yeah, I yeah, still yeah, get yeah. really fucking nervous. Yeah. Um, I think, but yeah, it adds to the adrenaline, I think, and on the day and try and use it as much as you can. But Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So this is a little uh, another aspect of the psychology side of things. And me and Sarah talked a lot about psychology in the past with in workshops and just in general chit chat. I mean, what, what, first of all, what do you, what do you say is like, if you were to give it a percentage, how much of it you put towards your success is, is psychology? Oh, be 80% of it at least have to be like mm. training and nutrition is probably just like a little bit in the corner. Mm. Uh, if you, if your mind's not in it, then yeah, nothing will work. Right. So that, that's, that's almost your edge. Kind of thing. Like there, there are lots of people who probably might be just as strong. But and here's here's the thing. This is where a lot of you know, uh, if you actually ask quite a few athletes, they all say the same thing. It's anywhere between fifty and eighty eighty percent where people say, oh, like they'll say the same. They'll say the same thing. Okay. And the same with coaches. But there isn't much work that people are doing, like from coaches' perspective, to help uh, the psych- psychological training. And I think I, I came. I was I actually came to me someone came to me the other day and it was funny because we spent she wanted to look at her her squat because she thinks that was the thing that was going to help her at a comp, her first competition and again, this yeah. was just for someone of the general population we actually sat down and talked for like 40 minutes before we even do that and I mean and then that kind of rem- reminded me it's like actually I'm probably doing very little technical work with a lot of my athletes right it's probably one training cycle I remember for this last prep we went through technique a technique session once, maybe twice, looking at the lifts. And then we you know we might have little iterations along the way, but so much of the time we're we're talking. Yeah. You know. Yeah, we we'll we used to have well we'd have like weekly check ins and we'd end up just sitting there just discussing things for like an hour or so. Mm. Um, managing to... like expectations and all the rest of the stuff that goes with it. What what's your weak point with the psychology? Like, is there anything where you have to, like, constantly work on one aspect of it just to get it right? 
I think managing like disappointment and um, I think like we've spoken about yeah. before and it's it's like missing a lift like it's yeah. rather than beating myself up for it it's which I think we've started to work a bit better or I've started to work a bit better on and work just understand why instead of being like oh fuck it like yeah yeah okay yeah, we'd sit down and yeah. discuss like maybe this happened or maybe this happened and then. What what tends to what tends to happen is quite it's quite common and this is one thing we picked up with, with Sarah is that it can uh, mi, mi, so there's two things is there's, there's missing when you miss a lift in a competition yeah. sometimes that changes people's mental approach to the rest of the competition you know that because mm-hmm. expectation like we talk about if if it's set the bar too high then you know if we miss that expectation very early on in the early on with the with the lift and say squat we missed. So we missed the squat that we're, you know, had a high expectation for, then they can rest, mess up the rest of your competition. Right. Okay. So, so, so even within one competition, you've got to constantly monitor it. Yeah. So I, I, one part is that I don't like athletes selecting, selecting numbers. And that is quite a hard task because that is the whole, whole <laughs> yeah. goal behind it is that right, I try and yeah. focus on the, the, the competition or just focus on improvement and not focusing on, individual list but focusing on the entire total itself we, if we can improve the total if we, if our squat goes bad but the other two are going good and we can improve our total that's a win rather than letting that bad squat influence the way we lift for the rest of the competition so it's there's that expectation management and the, the, the second one is that is that we were talking about just before the adrenaline side of things when the pressure pressure is on so there's there's this thing that's called a an arousal spectrum and it explains a lot about people people's approach to or their change in behavior in lifting when it comes to competition so we have a peak we have a peak arousal okay and one end of the spectrum um, if we're not aroused enough we're bored tired falling asleep okay and on the other side of the spectrum we got anxiety panic hysteria cool now some people if we need to find that right right amount. If we don't come up, if we aren't aroused enough to the point uh, where we're where we're optimal, then we won't perform. Mm. So this is actually quite common in the deadlift, and it's actually common um, common with me. And there's something that we've been working on in terms of trying to create a level of arousal, and and Sarah's been working out on the deadlift so that we can start to perform more like how we would in a competition. Because in competition, some people's that that arousal picks up very high and they end up getting huge amounts of performance because, you know, they have better usage of their neurotransmitters and adrenaline in the brain and things that uh, are generally performance enhancing. Now, if that stimulus is too high, we can get anxiety. And, you know, we go from where, where muscles are starting to get ready to fight. They go to become too tense. Right. And then when they become, when these muscles become too tense, we make mistakes because we're under panic and the muscle tone's becoming too, too tense. So we're not, so then we end up making mistakes. So actually I had one lifter who was, had, um, who, who, who herself needed, needed hype and she did, but every time she hyped up, she made heaps of mistakes. But so she could. But by how do you mean? It's like she's fucking slapping herself in the face and fucking screaming and shit like that, or like. Yeah, so I mean, they might, you know, you hype up them out, listen to some, some some music, music some yeah, someone yeah, okay, some yeah. in their face, or there's some 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 salts. <laughs> that generally get gets them amped up, 
but she'd always crumble under pressure. And so I taught her what she needed to do because she, she, she didn't arouse, she didn't bring the arousal up, she wouldn't perform either. So what I got her to do is that we bring the arousal up and said, as you approach the squat bar, I want you to stop for one second, take a deep breath in for like a count of two or three seconds and then breathe out, mm. right? That slows the heart rate down. That brings everything down to a more optimal level, away from anxiety to more aroused, and then she performed great. Right, and that made all the difference. A Huge one... difference. Fuck, that's good. So, so you're you're trying to, you're currently trying to replicate or trying to amp yourself up more towards competition levels at training. Yeah. So I think I was a bit further back on the spectrum, back to the, like the the lazy fall asleep oh, okay. side. Um, it takes me a lot to get to the other side. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I think just trying to work, especially for deadlifts, because I think because of my back and everything else, it was more of a psychological thing that I was trying to. Right. So you, so you have to deal with a lot of self-doubt then when it comes to the deadlift. Yeah, just or not self, just, just doubt in my back, I guess. And, yeah, um, okay. yeah, just trying to get to that point where, yeah, just trying to up the adrenaline. I think I caught my first back slap. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was good. Um, Physical abuse always helps. <laughs> yeah, I think we were finally making waves. I think with the deadlift, it was come good. Right. So you've you know you noticed a positive return in training when you utilize that. Yeah. Correct. It's really interesting. I've never I've never thought of that. The other thing is people people always just assume that. When it comes to powerlifting, you just have to whack on the death metal and just everybody needs to get just amped, right? And I've had to tell some people, um, I think it was with, who was it with? I think it was Tori. I told her, I think it was that. I told her to go, no, no, she was Michelle. I told her to go deadlift on her own. And so she'd make a big deal about getting everyone to come in and watch her lifting. And so we decided that it's probably best to just deadlift with no expectation, no one watching you. Don't even grab me or anyone else to watch, just deadlift. Those were her best deadlift sessions. Wait, so, so, so her, her issue was... She, she was on the very under... high end of the anxiety spectrum. Right, so she crumbled under the pressure when people were watching her. Mm. Right, okay. So, so you, all, do you in your head have all your athletes on this kind of spectrum? Yeah. Right, okay. That's where the money comes in, I guess. Fuck, there's a fly in here, right? Was it just buzzing around you? No. Get my head in. Fuck. Um, but yeah, once once everything else is ticked off, well psychology is a part of the part of the journey all the way. Yeah, yeah, okay. But the uh, the, the next I would I always say that there's like you know, with lifting, with strength and conditioning, every method, every scientific method behind different training iterations and variables and stuff like that have been done, right? We're not making much further progress. I mean, there's, actually, there's been one recent thing is the velocity-based training. Let's add in some new headway to, to, some, to some progression. But some of the things that are over, overlooked that are going to put, um, make huge progress uh, is individual, individualization and sports psychology. I mean, those, those two things right. nearly become, well, 99% of... Everything that we we need to do is that the psychology 
needs to be individualized um, to that person's chemistry, makeup, mm. personality yeah. type, and that uh, individualization that what is the best stimulus for that individual's physiology and biomechanics that creates the most most progression because not everyone is built the same both physiologically and psychology so so it comes back to this this is the importance of coaching you can't you can't just be a fucking strong person walking off the street and being a elite powerlifter Mm. yeah okay awesome anything else you want to cover I think you say all the time because I think Sarah said she wants to take up coaching one day but didn't want to be seen as one of those people that um, we see all the time where you get a strong athlete who decides to take up coaching. It's like being a, being a good athlete doesn't make a good coach. It definitely is a definitely is an aspect that a coach should know how to be strong, uh, should have at least had experience behind competing um, at a very at, at a decent level that puts puts it on the same spectrum of what. I've done it because there's a lot of things that you won't understand unless you've done it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but just being strong doesn't make you good at all. You would be suspicious of a fucking coach who can't lift, though. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, mate, what, what have you been doing? Yeah. Unless you're the um, Russian coach, Boroshenko, who's like this fat dude with a big belly. But I've seen him, yeah. Mm. Yeah, okay. Good, right. cool. All right, sweet. Well, um, we'll end it there for this episode. You gonna you gonna hang around for the velocity training chat? Yeah, yeah. That should be interesting. Okay. Well, um, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, catch you next time.